Did you know that the Bible mentions over 3,000 individual people? We're all captivated by the stories of Moses, Noah, Mary and Joseph, and John the Baptist. But what about the thousands of overlooked and underestimated characters who are part of the stories we aren't so familiar with? Each one of them is loved by God and made in His image, just like the characters we already know, and just like us. Their stories hold a mirror up to our own lives and in the process help us see the image of God in the people around us every day. So join us for a little people watching as we uncover the stories of these humans of the Bible. Philip and the man from Ethiopia. One day an angel of the Lord appeared in front of Philip. The angel said, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out on his journey. While traveling, he met a man from Ethiopia, who was an important official for the queen. The man had been to Jerusalem to worship, and was now on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip ran up next to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? The man from Ethiopia asked. So the man invited Philip to come sit in the chariot with him. The man showed Philip the passage of Isaiah. 53, 7, and 8. He said to Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? That question allowed Philip to share the gospel with the man who had not heard it before. As they traveled, <laughs> they came upon some water. The man from Ethiopia stood pointed to it and said, look, here's water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? He gave orders for the chariot to stop. He and Philip got out of the chariot, went down into the water, and there Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the man never saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. All right, after that, do we even need a sermon? Wasn't that amazing? Will you guys give him a round of applause again? <laughs> All right, well, like Richard said, my name's Adam, and I'm the pastor of our middle and high school kids at the Wilmington campus, who I miss very much at the moment, but we'll be back soon. It's my joy and privilege to get to be here with you this morning and get to share what God has put on my heart. Before we get there, though, a quick personal uh, update on me. If I look a little bit more tired, I have a really good reason. Her name is Elin Grace. 
honestly, it's just like the most beautiful little thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, like I just can't stop looking at her. It's amazing. Uh, this is kind of, here's our whole family. And we're doing really well. And this is, I think, this is kind of like the pastoral equivalent of the old wallet photo, right? Kind of like making everybody look and clap for my family. But I know a lot of you have told me, and I really appreciate it, that you've been praying for us at this time, and, and we need it. I mean, this is, this is an exhausting time and an amazing time. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of our family and uh, letting us be a part of yours as well. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm excited about what God is going to do in us. He's been putting something on my heart for a while now, and, and I'm excited to bring it to us because I think what God will do in and through us today is important for our whole community. But before we get there, I want to give all of us a chance to spend a little bit of time preparing ourselves to hear from God. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray in just a second, and I'm going to give you about 60 seconds of quiet. How many of you, that's like more quiet than you get in your whole day usually? Like right now, that's, that's more quiet than I feel like I get at my days or my nights. And I just want to give us just about a minute to ourselves in the midst of prayer to just ask God to speak to us. Ask him to help you quiet the noise that you came in here with. And if you're new, if you're new to our community, either here in Lexington with me right now or on any of our campuses, if you're just watching online right now and, and you're just not sure, like, where do I fit well, how do, I, how do I stand with God or what do I think about him? That's, that's totally fine. Welcome. We're so, so glad you're here. Just spend that minute just kind of trying to quiet the noise of your life that we all bring with us everywhere we go. And, and I, think, I think God will do something important in your life and in our whole community. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the chance to be here. I thank you for the fact that we are all gathered here across campuses, that we are worshiping you together. And Lord, I just ask, as we all come in here with a myriad of concerns, a myriad of stressors, a myriad of like noises in our life, confusion, Lord, would you just help us quiet that over the next minute? And would you please speak to us in this next little bit of time together? Lord, we are gathered today hoping to hear from you. We're, we're gathered here as a community, and, and our hope is that you would make us more like Jesus in this moment. So together and collectively, we ask, would you speak to us? Would you be forming in our hearts and our minds uh, an image of Jesus Christ? Would you make us more like him? Would you let us be his hands and his feet to those around us as we open ourselves to the world around us in the name of Jesus? And we ask this in his name, amen. Here's my question for you this morning. Have you ever found yourself in a place or a moment where you feel like you're an outsider? Have you ever found yourself in that place where you feel like you're out of the loop? You're like not in on the joke. You're trying to break in. Anybody? Um, yeah, okay. At the first hour, they were like, no, it's just you. It was, 
It was very clever of them, yeah. Well, you know. But I remember early on in my marriage, Liz and I, we joined with a group of other young marrieds. They'd been friends forever, for at least it felt to us. You know, when you enter a group, it always feels like everyone has always known everyone, except for you. And we really liked them. They were fun, they were energetic, they were funny, they liked to do fun things. And so we were trying to break into this group. And probably our second or third meeting, I remember it really clearly. We were sitting around, we were in somebody's living room, people were talking and laughing, and I cracked what I promise you was a really good joke. <laughs> now, a little background, and you need to understand, I'm a really funny guy. <laughs> like, very clever, very witty, and this joke just bombed. I mean, like, nobody, nobody responded. I mean... Literally, no one even reacted. Like I hadn't even spoken. And the conversation kind of stuttered, sputtered, moved on. I remember looking at Liz, kind of like, I don't know what just happened there. But we kept going on. And about 10 minutes later, as it circled back to the same topic, somebody else in the group made a joke. Very clever joke. Very witty joke. The same joke I had just made. <laughs> exactly the same. I was kind of like, what is, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. You're like, like, can you see me? And the whole group just roared in laughter. <laughs> they loved it. And I remember in that moment thinking like, what, what, is, what is going on here? And as the years went on, we, we actually, we did become friends with them. They're a wonderful group of people. I don't know what happened. Like maybe, maybe I just wasn't loud enough. I, I don't know what it was. But I remember getting in the car that night and driving home and just feeling like I was on the outside. Has anybody felt that before? Like we've all felt that. Whether it's been done intentionally to us or not, probably starting at a very young age, we all have times where we feel like we're on the outside. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing there's probably people with, here, with us here right now that you've walked in here with me. You know, you're on one of our campuses. Maybe you are watching online. And you feel that right now, that, that kind of particular like tingling sensation of not fitting in, a feeling like as you walk in, like everybody's eyes are on you, hoping nobody notices you, but also hoping somebody does notice you, feeling like everybody else knows everybody's names, they all know the jokes, they all know how when to stand and sit and, and all of these things. And if that is you this morning on any of our campuses, I want to say welcome. Because we're going to look at somebody today who I think felt that same thing for his entire life. And what we're going to see is that God met him in huge ways. And my hope is that God will meet you in the same way today. In fact, I am sure he will because I know who God is and how he thinks about you. So let's look together at this story that we just saw kind of played out for us right here. We, we got some background on it, or we got, we got like the story itself, so let me give you some background. It, it comes from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke, and Luke was a trained historian and doctor who had been hired to go and interview all of these various people who had known Jesus. He started out just trying to like tell the, the story of Jesus, and he wrote a book called, anybody know? And we call it Luke because it was written by... It's pretty, uh, it's like sim pretty simple. You're with me. I like it. So he wrote this book called Luke, and then he wrote a follow-up to it called Acts. And in Acts, what he's doing is Jesus has left, and he's now saying, like, let me continue to follow this group. What happens with them afterwards? And so he's following this new church movement, and he's giving us their story. And the story 
that we're looking at today, specifically Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It starts with a guy named Philip, and you saw a little bit of him here, but let me give you just a, a quick background on who he was. Philip, we don't know a ton about him, but we do know that he was really good with people, and he was really good logistically. You see, as this church grew, the, the current leadership structure, as they added more and more and more people, they couldn't handle all of the needs that came in. We see this all the time, right? You start out small and then something grows. And at some point, the leaders have to look at themselves and say, either we do all of these things and we don't do any of them well, or we bring some other people in that are good at them. So they looked around and they found seven people who are good with logistics and good with people. And they said, you come in, you serve with us, and you take care of all of the widows and kind of the, the, those kind of aid needs in our group. And so Philip was one of these people. And he came in, and he did a fantastic job at it. But right as they were figuring this out, right as things were just really like, like jumping, the, the church was moving, they were adding new leaders, people were coming in all the time, one of their members, a young man named Stephen, was stoned to death. He was killed for his beliefs in Jesus. And this great persecution throughout the whole city breaks out against the church, and they're all scattered. This is how Luke puts it. He says, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So you have this, this young church and these young believers who are now scattered all over the region, like literally fleeing for their lives. It's a, it's a really scary time for them. So that's our background. That's where this story like kind of kicks off. A young church filled with young believers in Jesus Christ, a great persecution, the believers scattered all over, and this man named Philip who loves people and loves Jesus. Let's see what happens. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, this is what Luke tells us. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia a eunuch of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So here, this is the man I want us to focus on today because I think his story is fascinating. And I actually think it's really powerful as well. And it's interesting because we don't know his name. He's referred to in a variety of different ways, the, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, the man from Ethiopia, the, the man from Cush, which is what Ethiopia was called at the time. So we don't know his name, but in just a few short sentences, Luke gives us a ton of information about him. First, and most obviously, he was a eunuch. Now, it's, it's interesting. As I, as I did reading over the last couple of weeks, there's actually some debate over whether this means a literal eunuch someone who was castrated at a young age so that they could serve as a royal functionary later, or whether in Greek parlance it's just meant as a kind of a governmental term. But most people tend to lean towards it meaning literally what it says, in large part because this practice of having eunuchs was very common in the ancient world. Uh, royal families loved this kind of servant for a particular reason. Royal families in a culture where you passed down your money, your status, and your titles to your sons liked having someone serve close to them that had no chance of having any. Does that make sense? A man that had no hope of a future family, it was felt, had less to gain by trying to take power. 
It's, I mean, it feels like a very broken way of thinking, and it, it is, but this is what it was like at this time in history. So this man with no hope of future, of a future family, no way to pass down anything of his own to future descendants, was desirable by royalty. In fact, it was common enough that Israel had a law on the books about them. In the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 23, it says that a man who was affected the way a eunuch was and I'm quoting here, may not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. In other words, they would not even be allowed in with the rest of the worshipers because they were seen as an outsider. So while this man traveled all the way to Jerusalem, he probably wasn't even allowed into the temple with the rest of the worshipers. So here you've got, you've got this man who is not in charge of his current life, He's, he's basically owned by someone, and he's not in charge of his future because that's been taken from him. With his own people, he's an outsider because of what's been done to him. And with the people he's chosen to worship with, he's not even allowed to go in with them. It's a very interesting life that he's leading. But that said, he was also a man of great power and influence. The fact that he was the treasurer of the queen mother of the nation of Cush meant that he had access to an incredible amount of wealth, that he was very well trusted, and that he was very well placed in the government. So it's a kind of this interesting dichotomy he has. He's also, he's seated in this chariot reading from a scroll. I think this might not seem like a big deal to us in our like Uber and Lyft ride-sharing culture today, but to be seated while traveling with a hired driver was a big deal. That meant money. Uh, a, a better way probably for us to envision this is to envision like the, the presidential motorcade, those long black vehicles with their tinted windows, the, the secret service all the way around them, the flashing lights of the police, people in suits, typing away on computers with aides talking in their ears. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about right here, this kind of government motorcade moving along. And the fact that he was reading his own scroll, something that was handwritten, incredibly rare and incredibly expensive, speaks not only to wealth, but it speaks to education. So you've got this man who, while we don't know his name, we know he was a man of great power, influence, wealth, and education. Well, Philip is a man on the run, quite literally. This is what Luke tells us. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk beside that carriage. So Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. All right, so I know you just got to see it, but like imagine it for a moment. Put yourself in this scene. You've got this guy, he's like bumping down the road. He's got his entourage. He's got his driver. He's reading. And then like this guy just like runs up like out of nowhere. It's a weird scene. Like he's right there next to the thing. It's, it's kind of like, you know that moment when you're singing in your car and then you turn and make eye contact with the person next to you? <laughs> Who's been there? Yeah? Most of us turn beat red. We look straight forward and we just drive until one of us turns. Some of us will literally, like just the next, it doesn't even matter where we're going. I'm taking the next turn. Uh, where, where are you at? Some of you, you just kind of look and you're like, you wink. Uh, you, know, you know who you are. But this is that moment. This is that moment for them where they kind of like see each other. And I think they had so many reasons why they should have just like looked forward, ignored each other, and kept going. I mean, the differences between these two men were striking. 
There were racial differences as an Ethiopian and a Greek. There were religious differences as a Gentile and a Jew. There were vocational differences as a, as a highly placed and trusted government employee and then this kind of small-time startup aid worker evangelist on the run. There were socioeconomic differences. I, I'm, I'm guessing Philip didn't have a whole lot of money when he had to run away, and this guy was carrying, I'm sure, a lot. There were physical differences from their skin tone to the fact that I think he was probably, the, the Ethiopian guy was probably nicely dressed, he was cool, he was clean, and Philip's been on the run. He is dirty and hot and sweaty. So many reasons why they probably should have just made eye contact, looked away, and kept going. I know a lot of us would. I know in most situations I probably feel like I would. But for some reason they don't, and what happens next is fascinating and unlikely. Philip just asks him straight up, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, well, how can I unless someone instructs me? So Philip, he urges Philip to climb up into the carriage and sit with him. This is fascinating because Philip is engaging in conversation with somebody who is above him, uh, both literally in this moment up in the carriage and also societally in a whole lot of other ways. And this man in the carriage, my assumption is other than the queen, and maybe the king and a couple other people, he's used to giving orders. He's not used to admitting when he's wrong. And so this guy comes up and he, and he looks at him and he's like, well, what are you reading? And I think for a lot of us, we would just be like, like yeah, I know what, I know, I know what I'm reading. Yeah, come, come on. But, but he doesn't. He shows remarkable humility and he invites Philip. He says, come up and sit with me. And what happens next is even more fascinating. This is what Luke says. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. He's reading from the Jewish scriptures, from Isaiah chapter 53. And I think as I look at this, the passage of scripture that he is reading in that moment is frankly startling. Uh, put yourself in his place. Try to imagine what it would be like to be this man at this time frame. You are not in charge of your own life. Somebody kind of basically owns you. You are not in charge of your future. Someone has taken that from you. And imagine having that mindset, being in that position and reading these words. He was humiliated and he received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? I have to imagine when he read that the first time, I wonder if that passage just jumped off the page at him. I wonder if he had like goosebumps up and down his arms. I wonder if his throat tightened, if his, if his eyes started to tear up. I wonder, if, I wonder if he was just desperate to know, like, who, who is this person he's talking about? And so he's reading this thing, and then this guy just like runs up out of nowhere and is like, what you reading? It's crazy. This guy shows up and God's timing is so good. So, so the eunuch says to Philip, uh, yeah, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with that same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip does not waste this opportunity. And starting exactly where he is, he shares with him about Jesus. And even this is startling and surprising because Jews and Gentiles don't mix. To Jews, anyone who wasn't a Jew was an other, and they didn't mix with them. The rich and the poor don't often mix. The weak and the powerful don't often mix. So the fact that this conversation happened, like this conversation should not probably have happened. 
And if we're honest, if we're honest, we all struggle with this, don't we? We all struggle with wanting to kind of uh, align ourselves often with people that we feel we're similar to. We often want to think and gravitate towards those who act a lot like us. We have a tendency to put our eyes and kind of turn our eyes forward and not really try to notice the other. It's just kind of human nature, and it's something I think we all struggle with. Let me give you kind of an everyday example that I recently heard from a sister church of ours down in Atlanta, North Point. So let's just imagine, let's imagine you have a good friend, and they're starting their first day on the wait staff at a fancy restaurant. So you gather all your friends, your family, you go, you grab a table, you're there to support them, you're ready to tip them, you're ready to do all of these things, and you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're like, oh, this is taking a while, but finally they show up to the table, and, you're, and you realize, oh, this is why it's taking a while. It's not going well. They're shaking, they're nervous, they're sweaty. You heard a glass crash earlier, and you're probably sure, oh, maybe it was them. What do you say when they get to your table? They're like, hey, like, how you doing? Like, don't, don't even worry about us. Like, water, okay, waters are fine. Like, don't, worry, don't even worry about the lemon. Like, we only need one. We can share it. Right? You're, you're so nice to them. You're so conciliatory. They, they show up a while later. The food's taking longer to get there than you expect. One of you gets the wrong dish. What do you say? Do you send it back? No way. You're like, you're like oh, this is great. Like, no, no. I'm, I, I bet you it was the kitchen's fault. You're like, this looks better than what I ordered. <laughs> this, this is what I wanted all along. I didn't know it was on the menu, right? You're, you're anything you can do to make them feel at ease. Now, whole same situation, a stranger as the waiter. How do we react? We're like tapping our feet, we're looking at our watches, we're wondering what's going on, we're sending the food back, we're... We're starting to calculate, okay, how much of the tip is getting chipped off? For how many minutes am I there? Right? Just, just Wednesday night, I had literally, I had written this section, and I had to get some dinner right before youth group started. I didn't have much time, so I pulled out my phone, I opened up the Chipotle app, I punched it in, thinking, okay, like by the time I drive there, it'll be ready. And so I drove there, and I walk in. There are two people in line, and I'm five minutes past the, the time frame for my food, and there's no food, and I sit and I wait, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I finally, like, I watch multiple people come through the door, go through, get their food, and leave. And, and I walk up to the counter, and there's this teenage cashier, this girl there, and she seems nervous. And, and, and I'm talking to her, and I'm like, hey, I'm just wondering, like, oh, where's my food? And I don't know. She looks in the back, comes back, and I'm not sure. Maybe it's not ready yet. And, and so I go, and I sit down. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just, like, watching more people come through, and I'm getting more frustrated because I can tell, like, the time. I'm going to run out of time here before I have to get to youth group. And this thought ran through my head. I thought, if I had just come and walked through the line, I'd be gone by now. <laughs> right? Anybody? It was in that moment, in that exact moment, that God reminded me of what I had just written. He's obnoxious sometimes. <laughs> like, I don't know what this girl's life was like. I don't know what was going on. Maybe it was her first day. Maybe something bad had happened that week. Maybe she, like, she desperately needed this job and she was just so anxious not to screw it up. I don't know. But I bet you if it had been my sister... I wouldn't have been so annoyed. 
I bet you if it had been one of my students from youth group, I wouldn't have been so annoyed. I mean, we, we, we struggle with this kind of stuff. And to borrow kind of a painful and powerful phrase from our sister church at North Point, we tend to show kindness to our own kind. That's a powerful line, isn't it? We show kindness to our own kind. We need to stop only being kind to our own kind. We need to have our eyes open all the time. We need to be searching for the other. We need to be convinced in our hearts and in our souls that God made the them just as fearfully and wonderfully as he made the us. We need to be convinced that he loves the them just as much as he loves the us. Amen? Just in, in the last six months, I've been with groups of people who have referred to those liberals. I've been with groups of people who've referred to those conservatives, those millennials, those old people, those, like fill in the blank. How many of us have sat in a group like that where they've referred to those and then we put a people group in there? I have watched my social media feed fill time and time and time again with anger and with hate and with fear of the other. I've watched as our culture has become increasingly hardened to the needs of the other. I've watched just in the last couple of weeks as surveys have come out saying that we, evangelicals, are some of the least likely people in our nation to think we have a responsibility to help the 71 million people right now that are fleeing war and persecution, famine, destruction. Church, this cannot be. We cannot turn our backs on the other. Jesus Christ has not allowed it. Amen? I love the way Rachel Held Evans, who we lost so recently and tragically, put it in her book, Searching for Sunday. This is what she said. She said, what makes the gospel so offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. What makes the gospel offensive is not how we set boundaries, it is how it breaks those boundaries down. And it's the beautiful thing about following Jesus Christ is that he is a boundary breaker and that we get to be boundary breakers in that as well. This story is repeated all over Scripture. Uh, it reminds me of the story that Jesus told. Somebody said to him, what will the banquet be like in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story. He was a storyteller. And he said, it's like a man who planned this great banquet. And right at the time that the banquet was going to start, he sent out his servants. And he said, go get all the guests. But they came back empty-handed, saying, like, oh, all these guests, they had excuses. I had to do this. I had to do that. And so he was frustrated. And he said, well, go out and just find anybody. Fill the seats at this table. And they came back with all sorts of people, but there were still even more seats. And so he said, go out even farther. Like search under bushes, search under hedges, search wherever you can. And I'm quoting, urge anyone you find to come. This is what the banquet is like in the kingdom of heaven. It also, it reminds me of Jonah's frustrated reply when he went and God kind of forced his hand and said, go preach repentance to, to Nineveh, this horrible violent people that has so abused your own people. And Jonah went and finally did it. And then he said to God, he said this, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is so frustrated. He's basically saying, God, I knew that you would do this. I knew your character. I knew you would forgive these terrible people and let them in. It's like one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he's so frustrated with God for being God. This man, the eunuch, he should have been on the outside. 
For so many Jews, he would have been on the outside. And I think even for Philip himself, even maybe a year or two before this, this guy would have been on the outside. But Jesus had come. Jesus had died. Jesus had raised back from the dead, and he had changed everything. He had changed all those societal norms. How significant is it that God sent Philip directly to an other? Somebody for him that was an outsider ethnically, spiritually, socially, physically. He sent him right to him because Jesus had changed everything. What's even more fascinating to me is that even in their time before Jesus, God had made it clear that this was his plan. This same book of Isaiah, this same prophet had brought words from God that spoke directly to the eunuch. And, and, and I'm curious, maybe that's why the eunuch decided to travel all the way to Jerusalem. Let's read them. Three chapters later in Isaiah 56. Don't let the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons or daughters could give. For the name that I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I find myself wondering if that's the passage that convinced him that he needed to travel all the way to Jerusalem. I'm wondering if he got there and they didn't let him into the temple and he faced this unbelievable letdown. We don't know. We're not sure. I mean, I'm kind of like imagining into this story. But I wonder if he was traveling home, reading through this thing, trying to find like, I don't know, this, this is what it seems to say. And then this guy shows up out of nowhere and says, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how you and I are now brothers. Let me tell you how you are now one of us. Here's a man whose life was not his own, whose future was not his own, who was an outsider among his own people, and who was an outsider among the people he'd chosen to worship with, a man who had spent his life as an other for so many years, for as long as he could remember. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how you felt when you walked in here or to one of our campuses. I don't know how you feel, whether you're in or you're out, but I'm guessing there's a number of you who you identify with him. And you feel like you're on the outside. Well, I have beautiful and good news for you. God is all about the outsider. He is all about it. He sent Philip directly to him. He had not forgotten him. He had a plan for him. And he has not forgotten you. And he has a plan for you. Amen? You are welcome here. You are loved here. You are valued here. And God will not stop pursuing you. Others of us might identify with Philip. We felt like we've been on the inside for a long time. Church, we cannot turn our backs on the other. We cannot do it. Jesus Christ has not allowed it. If we follow Jesus Christ, we break down boundaries. We do not set them up. So the question I have for you this morning, the kind of challenging and painful question, is who is the other to you? Who's somebody that you have referred to in the recent past? Like, who's somebody you have grouped together and referred to with scorn or apathy? It's not a comfortable question. It's not a comfortable question for me. But it's the kind of question that if we follow Jesus, we are forced to face. Because I think Jesus is all about us trying 
to increase those that are our kind. We cannot turn inward and face only the kindness of our own kind. What if instead, what if Grace Chapel was known as a place where anyone and everyone who walked in was treated as our kind? What if we were known as a place where everyone was family? What if we walked through every interaction we have every day and thought to ourselves, all right, God, how are you going to turn this thing into a place where I can turn the them into the us? Because you have gone ahead of me. I'd like to challenge you this week to be open to that. To be open to God stretching your boundaries, stretching your circle, stretching your kind. Because it's the way he's asked us to live, and it's the much, much better way to live. We're all sitting around this circle today. We're all sitting in all of these campuses today amongst all of these people we never would have interacted with if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Let's bring more and more and more people into that circle and into that family. Because he did it for Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's look at the end of the story. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, like, there's, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Do you hear the... Do you hear the, the longing in that question? Like the pain in that question? Like, look, look, I mean, there's some water. Like, why, why not me? Why can't I be? So he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Philip of the, the, Philip of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Look, he says, like, there's some water. Why, why not me? Why can't I be baptized? Before Jesus, I think there were a dozen reasons. There were many reasons. After Jesus, there wasn't a single one. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this challenging message this morning. We thank you for the fact that even though each and every one of us at some point was on the outside that you has sacrificed yourself so that we could be family. Lord, we ask, would you, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds? Would you expand our boundaries? Would you provide us with opportunities just this week, even today, to broaden this family and this beautiful church that you've built? Lord, for those who are on the outside, I ask for a special blessing over them. Would you give them peace and assurance that they belong? that they get to be here with us because of what you did on the cross for them, that that is what matters. Your sacrifice is what matters for them. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, in his power. Amen.